Don't put it in your pocket, sir. It's the greatest movie of all time. Today on the show, No Country for Old Men. The greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast. It's the greatest movie podcast. It's the greatest movie. Come on and hear me now. Greatest movie podcast. It's the greatest movie podcast. It's the greatest movie podcast. It's the greatest movie podcast. Come on and hear me now. Welcome, everybody, to the greatest movie of all time podcast, the show in which I, your co-host, the world's most dangerous man, Rick Barrasso. And I, your co-host, No Country for Old Deck Boski. Well, we're going to watch every single movie ever made, and we're going to help figure out which is the greatest of them all. How are you doing today, Derek? I'm doing Phantasmo. How about yourself? I'm doing great, although in a few years, it turns out there may be no country for me. Uh, it's which is sad which is sad i, uh, you're, you're, I getting, you're, you're, you're getting up there rick in, 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 in that's, years that's true i'm older on the inside than i am the out mm-hmm. judging by my my movie tastes today we're talking no country for old men which i mean no spoilers i think we can both say we really liked it no. um but let's take care of some business first. Last week, we talked about Scream with Anthony Barrasso, uh, 50, top 50 countdown villain, Anthony Barrasso, also my brother. <laughs> and it was a super fun episode. Check that one out. Any of our horror movie series for Halloween had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, and you can check out any of our library. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. Whatever app you use, subscribe, review if you can. It's extremely helpful for the show. Uh, if you enjoyed it, or if you have anything else you want us to cover, let us know on social media. We're the greatest movie of all time podcast on Facebook. We're at Great Movie Cast on Twitter. We're at Rick and Rec on Instagram. And you can always shoot us an email at greatestmoviepod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And as our old friend who we've been traveling up and down the roads with, who's been chasing us and is in a psychopath in his own right, Bruce Wayne would say, tell your friends about us. But now, let's call it. So we watch No Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men is a 2007 semi-Western crime drama uh, directed by the Coen brothers. It stars Javier Bardem as Anton Chigur, Josh Brolin as Llewellyn Moss, Kelly McDonald as Carla Jean Moss, Tommy Lee Jones is Ed Bell, and Woody Harrelson is Carson Wells. It made $171.6 million on a $25 million budget. It's got an 8.1 on IMDb, a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 91 on Metacritic. You know when Metacritic's with it, it's Oof. well regarded. Yeah. Uh, so Ebert, four out of four, says it's as good as any movie the Coens have ever made. Richard Roper says, this film is an evil delight. There's a quote. This film is an evil delight adapted from Cormac McCarthy's book. It's filled with suspense, pitch black humor, and one of the most memorable villains in recent cinema. For a negative one, uh, Anthony Lane from The New Yorker says, and this is a quote, uh, if I want wry lawmen and smart calculating fugitives, 
I'll get there from Elmore Leonard. And if I want Leonard, I'll take him neat rather than slow filter drop by drop through a layer of Faulkner and then laced with the book of Jeremiah, end quote. But also, I think he goes on to say, and he says this without saying this, I think he says that he also smells his own farts. I think so, too. Yeah, I think that's that's really my take on that review. Uh, But Derek, when did you first see No Country for Old Men? Uh, so I had heard about it for years and I don't remember, I don't remember exactly what year I started. It was definitely a solid five years after it came out. And uh, I remember waking up one morning and saying, I got to see this movie. Cause it just, it's been around for a while and, um, it's well regarded. And I sat down and I watched it and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And throughout the episode, you will hear me talk about it, uh, in, in, in more detail as to what exactly I did like about it. Uh, there's not a lot I didn't like about it. Um, and funny enough, uh, I had my wife Chia watch it for the first time, and she did not have the same regards to the movie that I did. And it has been an ongoing joke since that night. Um, and we have we actually I'm had interested. A- I'm gonna save this to like least favorite thing, and we'll step on our, our you know own, own toes. Yeah, I guess, yeah, here. yeah, sure, sure. But sure. like, I, I think the discussion there more so because like, I think we personally really like it, but I've tried to like get a better idea of what people might not like about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, um, I'm one of these people and I'm, I'm going to be honest about it. And it's something that I've been fighting through my whole life is that when I like something a lot, I, I kind of obsess over things. And if somebody doesn't like it or like what I like, I get very angry. And so it's been one of those things where like, okay, Derek, it's okay. People have different opinions. As long For as they more have- on that, see our top 50 movie countdown. <laughs> yeah, true. And uh, well, I mean, come on. The movies, the movies that I, uh, whatever, whatever, focus, focus. <laughs> whatever, whatever. Uh, anyways, yeah, I saw it the one time uh, years ago, and then I saw it for the second time uh, a couple nights ago, and uh, had a blast watching it. Yeah. So let's talk about what happens in the movie. It's as with many Coen Brothers movies, it's impossible to uh, encapsulate the mood and subtlety of the movie within thirty seconds, but we are gonna do our best. So, Derek, have you chosen the song? I have. I'm going with the classic song, Old Man by Neil Young. Okay. Well, take a look at me now. Count me down. All right. Three, two, one, go. Llewellyn Moss is hunting when he comes across some kind of a crime scene gone wrong in a bag with $2 million in it. He returns to the scene later that night to give water to a dying man, but ends up in a figurative and literal crosshairs of a Mexican gang, a psychopathic killer named Anton Chigurh, Ed Bell, the well-meaning but aged sheriff of the area, and a detective hired to find Chigurh. The begin- this begins a game of cat and mice, cats and mice that ends with the death of most of the players. It appears Chigurh ends up with the money, and Bell ends up retiring, realizing he's too old for this shit. 28 seconds. All right. So that's basically what happens in the movie, but, mm-hmm. uh, and that's, it's a big, but this is one of the ones you gotta see. You gotta see it to appreciate it because it's, this movie is so much about the mood and the shots and the acting that it's, it's tough to get across in this medium how good this movie is. Yep. But that's what we're here for. So let's uh, let's talk about our top three favorite scenes. Derek, what is your number three scene? So I have a mix of scenes that I, I chose for this for this episode. Um, 
I tried not to go with like the the generic ones that you'd think you'd go for. Maybe maybe I have a few of those in there, but this one specifically was the scene where Bell is talking to his uncle Ellis. And I just thought it was really eerie. And we don't know who this guy is. And, and Bell just kind of walks in and we don't even know what the relationship is until I actually had to look it up. Maybe I missed it. But it's his uncle and he's sitting in the chair. He's got this like big beard and stuff. And the way the dialogue um, is presented in the scene to cut you off. The only time he mentions him potentially, I think, is like the very beginning of the movie where he's like, yeah, no, he's still doing it out there. And okay. then, like he doesn't come up until like later. It's like one line. It's bizarre. Right, right. And uh, Ellis is like his uncle. Yeah. And uh, he he's just uh, says he found out that Bell is going to be retiring and things. And then he talks about a family member who was killed back in 1909 while on duty. Um, and uh, it's just a very stylized scene. And, and the one thing I'm going to bring up a few times during this episode is that there isn't a lot of music in this movie. And it works wonders for it. And every time there seems to be a very sinister or serious moment, you just hear this like howling, eerie wind in the background. And yeah. it just, and it, and it, 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 it brings that theme of, you know, nihilism and pessimism, like all that stuff. It just, it brings it right to where you need it to be to the core of the movie of like, what is it about this movie that works? And, and I think that it's the, um, the un, uh, unpredictableness of the movie, I guess if that's a word. You don't know where it's going. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't even know why. And I think that none of the characters do either. And that's what I think I like so much about this and the scene and how the character Ellis is like, in so many words, he was like, you don't know what's going to happen. No one knows what's going to happen. But it, but there's one thing that is inevitable and it is death type right. thing. And uh, I just, it's one of those scenes that caught me off guard because, uh, you know, it's towards the end of the movie. And uh, who is this guy, you know, and it just works so well and you can tell it with 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 bell that he uh he can't do it no more he's sick of it he's tired of it he can't fight it no more whatever yeah. it is is it is it just evil whatever it is he can't do it no more and um it's just a really really nice scene yeah so i have uh for my number three the scene right before that and it's the scene where bell almost confronts sugar and I think it's such a great character moment for both of them because everything in me as a movie fan says Tommy Lee Jones is going to walk in there and they're going to have the drag out fight where the old gunslinger is going to take down this psychopath and Tommy Lee Jones, Bell walks in the room. I think he knows Shigur is nearby and Shigur certainly knows that he's nearby. And they just don't. They both make a decision. The damage has been done. No good is going to come of this. And from one perspective, you could say, are these guys cowards? Certainly John Wayne, any character John Wayne played, the old gunslinger would walk in and he'd try to blow Chigurh away. But that's not this kind of movie, you know? Right. And, and to just to dig, just to dig a little deeper into the scene, because this almost made my top three. It's very likely my fourth. Um, and maybe it would be in my top three at a different day. But to me, it almost seems like this scene was Bell's coin flip. 
Sugar does his coin flip and he 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 basically challenges anybody who comes across to see if they're going to die or not. Bell doesn't get that, but I feel like this is a coin flip because when he goes and approaches that door, he's making a decision. You know, you can go in or you could just leave. And he decides to go in and he ends up surviving and nothing happens. And it's kind of a uh, a deep breath moment. But you're right. It, it, it could have been. And that's what I like about this movie so much is that it's not generic in the way it's handled. It's the opposite. It's like everything you think is going to happen. It doesn't. And it's I find that unbelievably realistic. And again, bringing up Game of Thrones, but like in Game of Thrones, the deaths in that. Are, are most of the time very realistic. They're gritty. You don't see them coming. The good guy doesn't always win. And I think that uh, this movie particularly does that beautifully. And this scene especially is like, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get what you want because that's just not always the way life is. Here's the, here's the key difference, I think, between this and later seasons of Game of Thrones. Every decision and every action stems from logical characterization in this and the early seasons of game of thrones have that yep you know even if something like um open martell's death like it's gutting in game of thrones it makes absolute sense with the characters in the same way that you know what llewellyn is kind of a schmuck of course he'd get himself in that situation he's not a master criminal he's not skilled in that way like he's gonna fuck up it's just a matter of time. But yeah, and, and, and this scene, I think it is ultimately Bell just being like, this, I guess this is just the world now. Why bother fighting against it? Yeah, right. And Chigurh, um does kind of make a decision. I mean, we don't see him flip a coin. Maybe he does, but he chooses not to go after him. They right. choose to both walk away. And it's, I, I said in my description that it's, likely that sugar ends up with the money we don't know for sure right it's it's extremely likely in, in the movie i haven't read the book maybe it goes into more detail but maybe it doesn't maybe they just walk away uh so what's your number two scene my number two scene is actually the last scene in the movie where bell is telling his wife about this dream that he had and he has two dreams. And the first dream is that I think it was about his father gave him some money and then he misplaced it. And that could mean a whole bunch of different things. It could mean that it could relate to the actual story of Bell is the only primary character who doesn't get their hands on the money or doesn't even come across the money at any point during the movie. He's always kind of two steps behind of everything that's happening um, until kind of the end. So it could mean that um, it could mean something more specific with his father and the relationship with fathers and sons um, about your, you know, your father giving you something special and then you lose it or you break it, something like that. It it could mean a bunch of different things. And that's why I love that so much. It's a very short dream. And he kind of like brushes it off and goes into the second dream where basically his, his father and him are in the mountains. His father goes up ahead and he says kind of like, I know he'll be there when I get up there type thing. But he's very unsure when he says those words. And it kind of made me think about it. I really wanted to dissect the scene and figure out what it was about. And what I came across is that it almost to me feels like death is inevitable. But I feel like he's a little bit unsure about you know, the rest of his life and the, and, and the afterlife, you know, um, and what's, what, 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 it, what does it all mean? You know, and again, you get this like eerie wind in the background and you got, there's no music. Tommy Lee Jones just delivers every word with just, just 
I can't even it's, it's he's 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 phenomenal. And I love the fact that this movie ended with a scene like this because it's very just unorthodox, especially in a movie with so much violence. You end with this this scene of this cop who's just dried up like a prune, you know, and he's home and he's waking up and eating breakfast with his wife and he's just not who he was anymore. And now he just has these very odd and vague dreams. Um, it was very stylized, very artistic. And I, I just think it was wonderful. Here's so what do you think? I mean, do, do you think that is that how you interpret the dreams? Is that I don't know. I mean, I feel like they can go a few different ways. I actually watched a few videos as well to see what other people thought, and everybody kind of had a different opinion. But Here's, what do you what do you think? I'll give you my take, and I've not watched any videos if this matches somebody's take. Okay. Then then fine. My um my take on it is that the dreams are about how bell sees the world right and how his responsibility representing his generation of people has basically dropped the bag from his father's generation whatever whatever they've done it's fucked up the world to the point where someone like sugar can exist that's him losing the money he took a world that was handed to him and he lost it but on the other hand, even if that's the case, he's going to the same place his father went, whether that be death or the afterlife. Just in the ground. Yeah, just, just whether it's nothing. Ultimately, doesn't matter because his father's still going to be there waiting for him. Right. And and that's and that's what I think, you know, you said the word nothing, you know, that's what this movie cult. That, that's what it comes to for me. It's like it's so nobody really knows, you know, and this is the way life plays out is are things fate, are things free will. But I think you're, I think you're onto the good, especially when he says earlier in the movie how he doesn't use a gun because he yeah. just wants the town to respect him. But he knows he won't get it back. But he's like back in the day, my the older generation, they didn't even carry guns, you know. Yeah. It's so much of his dialogue, so much of his his character is like the world's just fucked up now. Yeah. Like that's just what it is. Like but you know the, the next logical step is we fucked it up. This movie to me, do you know what this movie's this is going to be weird. This movie's closest relative in the Cohen library is and there's a lot you can make a case. To me, the closest relative to this movie the Cohen's have made is Burn After Reading. Right. And I'll tell you why. Burn After Reading is basically the comedy version of this, where so much happens, and then at the end of it, uh, J.K. Simmons basically is like, so what did we learn here? The, the guy he's talking to is like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The point is, there's no point. Right. And, so, and, and people may get upset at that, but I just think it's unbelievably clever. And the Coens do that. The Coens are very interested in that. Things just sort of happen in their movies to their characters. Yep. And it's how do these characters react to this situation that they've, in, you know, like in Llewellyn's case, has just stumbled across. Or, it, you know, or, or Carla Jean's case where she doesn't stumble across it. She's just near someone who does. Right. And it, like, maybe costs her her life. Just she didn't do a thing. Right. She has no agency in whatever her fate is. and And that's... Well, we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. But uh, my number two scene is 
probably the most famous scene in the movie where Chigurh menaces the gas station owner and just relentlessly fucks with him. Yep. And it's so much to me because of the performance of Javier Bardem. Yeah. You immediately are just, and, and the, the gas station owner is immediately put on his heels by this guy. There's something wrong with him and it's palpable in the room. You know, he is maybe the ultimate representation as Trigger of the movie's philosophy. It's just a coin toss. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, whether or not you walk out of here today or he kills you or, you know, lightning strikes you later that night, there's nothing anyone can do about it. That's just the way things are. Right. And whether it's fate or whether it's just chance, I don't know. And neither does Jagger, and I don't think the movie really says its opinion on what what it is, you know? Right. And and we can keep talking about it because this is my favorite scene in the movie. And it, it, to me, it's it's like life is a, is a coin toss, you know? It's like from Chigurh's like car accident at the end of the movie. Like who could have, you know, expected that? Yeah. Um, I always say like if somebody, you know, my relatives, older relatives will say things to me like, well, it doesn't really matter because I'm going to be dead soon anyway. And it's like, yeah, so could I. Just right. because you're older than me doesn't mean that I can't walk outside and get shot or get hit by a fucking car and die. Uh, life is a coin toss in, in that yeah. in that regards. And you said everything beautifully about the scene. And, and there's a couple of things that I noticed that kind of gave me chills. And one of those moments is when Shiger finishes eating his nuts and he puts that wrapper on the counter and the camera just kind of watches that wrapper unfold a little bit. And there's no music. It's just that howling wind and that crinkled wrapper kind of unraveling. And that moment right there is very, it has a lot of ten, like tense feelings in that scene yeah. and that moment. And it's beautifully directed. It's just like, man, the tension is high with just watching this wrapper unfold. You um, don't know what's going to happen in this scene in the next second. Right. At any point. Like you could, be, anything could happen. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it's, uh, yeah, the, it, it's so, even the actor, I mean, the unknown actor who plays, you know, opposite of Bardem in this part, he just does it really well. And he's just, he's this very innocent man, you know, and, you know, oh, so you, you married into it. Uh, I, I, I guess you could say that his voice is so light and, and innocent and please don't hurt me. What did I do? And, you know, Sugar is like, I don't care what you did. You know, yeah, you, you just, matter. you know, it's, it's, it's like he ran into the Grim Reaper, you know, it's like. Sorry, the whole movie everybody Shigur runs into is like, I, I may just have to get you out of my way by killing you. And, you know, it, it's even like he does it to everybody he comes across to the point where he's driving and tries to shoot a bird on a bridge. You know, yeah. it's like, but uh, this scene is, um, I think, I think we had already decided we were going to do this movie. And then like a week later, I was watching like um, it was a, a YouTube video of like some of the greatest scenes in film history. And, and that was one of them. And out of all the scenes I watched, I remember just like putting my phone down and watching the scene because it just caught me the, the right way. Like, wow, this is such a powerful scene. But yeah, this is my number one. It's kind of obvious, but it's uh, it, it, it's it's great. Yeah. And just to give a shout out to that actor uh, playing the gas station tennis, Gene Jones, he's he, I mean, he's he's in some really great stuff. He's in he's sort of the lead kind of a movie called The Sacrament, which is he plays sort of a um, who's the who's the Kool Aid guy, the guy that uh, killed his um, killed his killed his like followers in Guyana. 
Wow. Uh, You're unraveling a lot of things to yeah. me that I just don't know about, Rick. You, oh, you don't know Jim Jones. Jim Jones. Oh, Jim Jones. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of, for some reason, I was thinking about the Hawaiian punch guy, not the Kool-Aid guy. <laughs> Hawaiian punch guy, like the guy oh, who plays yeah. him, the guy Drink who plays, the guy who plays him in the commercial killed a bunch of people. I'm like, wait a minute, what's happening? <laughs> no, he, so he he plays at Jim Jones and he's in, um, he is in Hateful Eight as well. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, so he's, he's, he's doing good stuff. But this may be his greatest scene. Uh, my number one, actually, is the scene at the end with Chigurh and Carla Jean. Mm. To me, Carla Jean is us in that. Yeah. Right? Yep. She, she doesn't really know exactly what's going on. But ultimately, she's saying what, even though it may or may not lead to her death, is saying kind of the things we want to be true. Like, it's not just chance. You have to make this decision. You put yourself here. I'm here. Don't, I'm not going to call the coin flip. And it's these two diametrically opposing worldviews. It's the unstoppable force and the un- immovable object. And what happens? We don't know. Right. And it's funny because they they could have, if they wanted to, they could have had Sugar walk out of that house and not check the bottom of his shoes. Yeah. And that would have been made it a lot more ambiguous. But it's possible that that that, you know, most likely they were going for that whole scene where after Sugar kills Carson Wells, he keep the blood dripping on the floor. He puts his shoes up on the bed so the blood doesn't touch his shoes. It's a callback to that scene, maybe, or he doesn't want to make sure he got doesn't have any blood in his shoes. So could be. To me, I'm 75% sure he's killed Carla Jean, and I'm 75% sure he got the money. Right. <laughs> but there's still 25% is not insignificant. Right, right, right. And, and yeah, and that's, and that's, to, that to me is great movie making. It's just, yes. just letting you hang on to your thoughts after the movie. And, you know, because they could have, and again, we're not going to mention this because we already talked about our scenes, but, you know, Llewellyn dies off screen like yes you know like that is something that we're given we're given that and a lot of people might not fucking like that but it's a really interesting choice is is what I have to say we don't even know the specifics like was that woman in on it was was it just random happenstance how did the Mexicans find him did they just come across him right he came across the money we, we don't know and, and, and that's the right and, and that's what i think life is too sometimes it's like yeah sometimes there is no rhyme or reason things just happen and it happened and it's over you know right. it's like you can dig on it you can dig in it forever but uh, i can understand why people would be upset by that but at the same time i feel like you and i aren't regular moviegoers um we're kind of searching for stuff like this that's interesting to think about later well um, let's let's circle back to that because let's get to least favorite thing. And, and like I said, it's, it's tough for me to say, cause I think this is close to a perfect movie. Same. But for some people, I, I know you, you mentioned that you and Gia have had a, a disagreement about this. Yep. Does it go to me that the people who don't like it generally, you know, other than the people who are it's boring or my farts smell great and I'd rather smell my own farts like a reviewer. <laughs> does it go too far? in these random happenstance thing. You know, Llewellyn, for all intents and purposes, up to the point where he dies, is the main character of the movie. Yes. The final showdown, I guess, the final thing in this movie is between Chigurh and Carla Jean, 
who have no previous existing relationship. Right. It's not like, other than like, Shigeru being like, if you piss me off, I'll kill her. That's it. That's the extent of their interaction is one of them mentioning one of the other one in the same, like in a different scene to somebody else. So up until their final scene together, you kind of want the last showdown of the movie to be Chigurh and Llewellyn. Right. Or at the very least, at this point, we're hoping for Bell. Yeah. And or Bell, yeah. Or Bell gets involved. And that like once he, once he's gone, you're like, I guess I have him like it, it almost it's I mean, it's very much like Psycho, except Psycho, you see, the, you know, one of the most famous deaths in all of movie history. And in this is just like, yeah, there's a body. You didn't see it. Yep. So, I mean, is that that's what I tend to find people don't love about it. But I mean, is that what what Gia's issue was or what was what was her yeah, she she. So I will start by saying that I, I didn't know I was going to watch the movie the night that I did. It was around 830. She usually goes to bed around 930, 945. She gets up early for work. And so she was sitting there and I said, do you mind if I watch No Country for Old Men? And I kind of wanted you to watch it. But do you mind if we throw it on now? And she's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. You can throw it on. I, I could probably stay up for it. I said, it's a two hour movie. So I, I, I searched for it on the, on the TV and it came up on Pluto TV, which apparently I did have the app for. Um, and so I said, OK, yeah, let's, let's watch it. And it's at two hours and two minutes. Minutes. We didn't realize this, but it had a commercial like every yeah. seven minutes and it like really ruined the experience for her, I think. And then halfway through it, the character that she's following dies. And she basically was like, I feel like just checking out at this point. Like, what the fuck? This movie's so depressing. And then this happens. Yeah. The rest of the movie, she was like, she wasn't not paying attention, but she, she likes to do this thing. And she, this is just her thing. While the movie is going on, she looks up actors in the movie. She's trying to figure out where she knows them from. She looks up trivia on the movie. And I'm like, gee, I just wait to the end. And she's like, I can't help myself. Yeah. So she does that thing. And so during the scenes, like this, like the Ellis scene that I love, during the last scene that I love, she was on her phone looking at stuff from the movie. And she missed a lot of the important dialogue, I think, is really important to this film. So after the movie was over, she just kind of got up and she's like, all right, well, I'm going to bed. Like, and she seemed kind of annoyed. And then I was like, so did you get it? Do you understand the movie? See, there's your problem. <laughs> and that was my problem because I came off as like, I'm smarter than you. Yeah. And I didn't mean to. That. And so yeah. we had a little mini argument. Again, we never argue about anything. And if we do, it's usually like it's, we, we, we fix it in a minute because we're like, oh, we're, this is, we're being stupid. So she goes to bed. I go up and I usually like, you know, tuck her in because I usually stay up later and kiss her goodnight. And like I lie in bed with her for a few minutes and I went upstairs and she noticed that I wasn't being my goofy self. Like I usually come upstairs singing a song or being really silly. And I wasn't. And she's like, oh, are you mad at me? And I'm like, no, of course I'm not mad at you. I'm like, are you mad at me? She's like, no. And I'm like, all right. But it was like very tense. And I like was lying down with her and I was basically spooning her and hugging her. And I was like, we're just lying there. And I just happened to whisper in her ear. I'm like, so what you, you did, what, so what you, so what you didn't understand was this. <laughs> <laughs> so there was my mistake right there, but yeah. it's, it's been an ongoing joke since that day where I'm like, she's like, you know, everybody who knows us thinks that like we're perfect for each other because they're both so quirky and goofy. And I'm like, yeah, of course. She's like, do you think there's anybody else in the world who, who would be perfect fit for you besides me? And I was like, no, I don't. She's like, there's so many women out there though. And I was like, yeah, but she's like, you might find a woman who likes no country for old men. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. I knew you were trying to trap me there. <laughs> but so it's now it's an ongoing joke. And I was like, listen, someday in the future, when you're in a movie mood, it's rainy out. We have a version of it that's not commercials. Would you watch it again with me? And, you know, so it's been like that thing. So I think, you know, 
I don't think it was a great circumstance for her watching the movie. She was kind of already tired. There was a million commercials and she just wanted something a little bit more uppity and she just didn't get it. <laughs> well, the other thing is like, there are some people that, you know, and my brother in that top 50 countdown episode put it pretty clearly. It's like, I need someone to root for, you know, some people are just like, I need someone to, and not necessarily a great guy, just like someone you have a rooting interest in, you know? Yeah, right, right. No, and, and I totally get that. And uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and like, I do like, you know, like I said, I like movies like Pulp Fiction, where sometimes like the characters aren't really likable in a sense where like I can, I can, you know, I can relate to them because I'm not a criminal. But at the same time, you're like Samuel L. Jackson is hilarious. So I want him to be the guy who lives at the end. You know, right. there's sometimes there is there is that. And I feel like Anthony is still like, well, I still want to see the good in people. And that's fine. I totally agree with him. But sometimes like when I'm watching a movie, I'm like, I don't care that they're all villains. This is fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? So let's uh, let's go to medals. Uh, who well, do you, you have? Wanna, what, 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 do you have a worse thing in the movie or? I don't really like again, it's it's tough to it, it's anything that I say would be like so nitpicky and probably like, it's like, it's almost not even worth talking about. Right. So, you know, that's, that's why I said for this, it was like, what do people not like about it? Right. I have a small thing and it's okay. something that actually Gia agrees with me. It's funny. I wrote all my notes down and I left it on the couch. And then the next morning she apparently went downstairs, did her thing before work. She saw my notebook because later on afterwards, she's like, by the way, I agree with your notes. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you saw my notes. She's like, yeah, about the worst part of the movie. And my little thing, and again, it's very, very little, but Llewellyn's relationship with his wife is very, like, distancy. There's no kissing, no hugging, no... Uh, See, Derek, what you don't understand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. And again, I just kind of like, I don't know, no, not that I wish this happened, but like, I think it would have played even a, a bigger punch if he was more of like a loving husband, but I guess you don't really need that. And it's just the way it was written. And it's kind of a dreary story anyway, um, the way things are happening. And uh, he's just yeah. kind of, a, he's what kind the of, fuck is there like, he's much older than her. I feel yeah, like yeah. And maybe that's just because the actor, like I didn't look up their ages, but I mean, Josh Brolin looks he's 70. At, he's at least 40 in this movie. I remember looking it up because I was yeah. doing my recasting and I, and he looks, I, he's a, hard 40 yeah and again she's definitely not 40 so yeah well yeah, i mean kelly mcdonald is like it's you know it's it's interesting because like the other probably kelly mcdonald's she's in harry potter for like a second mm -hmm. but she, like her other probably biggest role is um well i know she, she's in brave right she's in brave but that's her voice right right but her like she is in train spotting she's in train spotting mm -hmm. and in train spotting she's like playing a 16 year old right so it's like that's kind of in my head how i like the role she plays so she like reads younger and he reads older yeah and he's always just like don't worry about it like i got it i get this figured out go to your mother's you know what's funny now that we're talking about uh josh brolin i i feel like i should have casted him as my um what's his face in jaws quint i feel like he'd be a pretty good quint i don't know I, i'm just thinking out loud now yeah no he, he would be Let's go to uh, let's go to, to medals. Woo! All right, so medals. Who do you have for your bronze? This was tough um, to juggle. It's tough because there's a lot of options. Yeah, there really are, and I I, I guess I kind of went generic here, but I just went with my gut. And uh, my number three is the Cohen brothers. Uh, my yeah. bronze. Um, they could have went any place here, honestly, but uh, I, I just think that they um, they're they're kind of like they do things that I like in film almost to the point of like Tarantino-esque. 
of sort of like storytelling. And it's always like a, just a little bit different storytelling and the way things are filmed and the yeah. camera work. And I, I, and one thing, one of the decisions that they obviously made and that I love is that beginning monologue with, with uh, Bell, Tommy Lee Jones, when he's talking about that 14 year old boy who killed his girlfriend. And he's just talking about how like, um, you know, the kids like when I, you know, when I get out, if I get out, I'm just going to go kill again because I've wanted to kill since I was born. And he's like, I'm going to hell. And Bell's like, yeah, I'm about to send you there in 15 minutes. And just the, the fact, and it, this could be the beginning of the novel too. They could have just gotten it from that. But the Coen brothers decision to have that start the movie off just gives you right away like, okay, this is not going to be a happy film and you're, you're going to be upset by this. And I like the fact that they set, they set, they set us up like that. And the shot of the mountains, the airiness of the desert, um, they just and I have to watch more movies by them because I really like their style. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm, oh, I'm, a, I'm a, so many. well. The, I'm the a, thing is, yeah. this there's a lot of the same themes in their other movies, right? But this one is probably stylistically different than a lot of their other ones. I know when I was reading the trivia, they said that they had just come off of a few comedies. So they were like, we needed to go the complete other direction. Yes. Um, but I am ashamed to say that I have not seen Fargo yet. <laughs> um, so yeah. I am excited to see that at some point. Yeah. You, you, you can see the same DNA in, in their movies. Mm-hmm. Like they have a very strong voice, but they know they do things very differently in their movies. They know how to mix things up. Like it's, it's, there's, you can definitely point out a Coen Brothers movie, but not by like, well, the camera is so still and there's no music. Like they know how to make a movie and they know how to make different types of movies. So quick, quick thing. Um, yeah. A friend of mine keeps confusing the Farrelly brothers with the Coen brothers. <laughs> and they were like, oh, Dumb and Dumber. That was the Coen brothers, right? And I said, I said, if the scene in Dumb and Dumber with Jim Carrey after they <laughs> after they after they screw screw with Seabass, remember when Jim Carrey says he watched the movie about it, and he, but in the movie they catch up to him and slit his throat. I'm like, that would be that would be the Coen Brothers version of Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Dumb and Dumber is like not too different from a Coen Brothers plot, to yeah. be honest. Like it's it's, yeah. it's wackier and it's more gross out, but like a guy like gets a suitcase. Like it's <laughs> right. kind of this, really. It's like a guy comes across a suitcase. And like, that's the plot of the movie go. And they try to figure it out and get like, try to get it back to where it needs to go or where they want it to go. Yep. Uh, But you know what? We're, um, we're watching a, uh, a movie directed by a Farrelly brother in a couple of weeks. So uh, we could compare and contrast. So my bronze goes to Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones is a guy who sometimes can show up and just be like, all right, I'm Tommy Lee Jones. Like this is I, my persona just brings what it needs to the role without me having to try. Men in Black. Yeah, but I think the first Men in Black is, yeah. is very good. In. And it's it's funny because uh, in the third Men in Black, the younger version of K is played by uh, Josh Brolin. Right, right. Uh, so it's just like a lot of times he's just like, but like, yeah, but later two Men in Black, she's like, all right, I'm here, I'm doing my thing. Yep. Texas accent. But in this one, he's given a performance. Like he's trying. When he gets up for a movie he fucking gets up for a movie yep you know like it, lincoln is another great performance of his recently like he's he knows what to do but like you know he's in captain america the first captain america which is a movie i like a lot and he's just kind of like i'm tommy lee jones this is what i'm doing right but this one incredible performance obviously the the final scene in the movie which didn't make my list but came close the interactions he has with his uh, his deputy 
where he's just kind of like, all right, like I'm just kind of trying to show you the ropes and not make you feel like an idiot, but you're yep. a fucking moron. Right, um, right. The the scene he has with his uncle, it's just a great performance. Like yeah. it's it's great directors, great actor. They make magic together. So who's your silver medal winner? Same. Tommy Lee Jones is my silver. You basically said everything I wanted to say about him. Um, I hang on his words. And there's a lot of times where I can't understand what he's saying because his accent's so strong. And I almost wanted to be like, what the heck did he say? Let me go back. But like uh, every word he says is just um, is dynamite. He just he does it well. You know, I, I can tell that he like you said, he really tried in this movie. And then there's a lot of times where you can feel like he didn't try in movies. You know, you can see you can see a true performance here. And it's I think it's for anybody who watches this movie. And, you know, like like even Gia, she said, I have no gripes with the acting. The acting was amazing. And yeah. and, and it's it's hard to not say that because you can tell everybody in this movie just knows their craft. And I think it's also funny how this is like the second Tommy Lee Jones movie that I know of where there's like a coin toss that's <laughs> very uh, relevant to the story. <laughs> No, not, not this one is much better. Than not that, that not that I enjoy Tommy Lee Jones's Two Face because I don't. It's um yeah he he's really he's really great in this and uh, I think as of right now from everything I've seen him in he, it is my favorite performance. Uh, Lincoln is a future episode I have not seen it so I'm excited to see that one. My one of my favorite Tommy Lee Jones stories is when he was filming uh, Batman Forever. I think he thought this was going to be his big like you know, crazy, like, let it loose performance. And obviously Jim Carrey at the height of his, like, fucking wackiness is, yeah. like, at a 12. And <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones really did not like Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey basically, like, they were out eating one night. And <laughs> Jim Carrey's like, Tommy, like, what, what's going, like, what did I do to you? Like, why don't you like me? And Tommy Lee Jones goes, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he didn't like him. And, and, and that's what well, the other thing that I, that I love, and I, I forget who was on stage making funny. And it was like a, re- a really funny thing. I forget who it was. It was some award show and the camera just zooms in on Tommy Lee Jones and he's just not smiling. Yeah. And it was just unbelievable. Like he's so, you know, I, I love that he like hates things so much. <laughs> so my silver goes to Javier Bardem. And from this the first scene that he is in it's like okay this guy is bringing a different energy than everyone else in the movie but it works like his voice in this is like in fucking humanly deep yeah it's like the character itself is the character itself is bizarre like the haircut makes no sense like they <laughs> made a jo- yeah made a joke about it on family guy mo howard <laughs> Yeah, but like Mo Howard on like a bad hair day. <laughs> right. And like the way he moves is bizarre. It, it, like when he gets that it's, limp, it's even more nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah. Like he's dangerous to the point where it's just like, and, and you, you know, Woody Harrelson, who we haven't mentioned at all in the movie, uh, has that line where he's like, oh, you saw him and you're still alive. Yep. And you believe it with this character. Yep. And like, there's, there's a reason why Bardem basically from this is like, I'm just a huge star now. Like he's, yeah, he got Skyfall off of this basically off the street. Like, I feel like, I mean, he's a great actor all uh, around, of course, but this yeah. is his like, I've arrived in Hollywood. Yep. Who is your gold? He is my gold. All right. Bardem. Uh, everything you said on point. Um, 
Yeah, I, I have yet to see like a like a, a subpar performance from Harvey, uh, Javier Bardem in anything. Everything he's done, he just seems like he's just a very serious actor. Um, and I like that. I love, I, again, we talked about this in the past about c- comedies and horrors. I'm a drama guy. I love dramatic movies and dramatic performances. Um, I've always, since I was a kid, I've just looked up to them. And uh, this role is, it's, it, he's scary. He's scary to, to watch. Uh, he's scary because of the character he plays, but he's scary because he's so into the character. Like, you know, there are moments in movies where you can tell maybe an actor was like not on their game in maybe one scene. Uh, a couple of scenes, maybe it was just lackluster. Some scenes really strong, but some, the whole movie he is, he, he is Anton Chigurh. And there's no doubt about it. And even at the end of the movie, he gets when that when that car when that car crashes, he's outside and he is bleeding and he is he is fucked up and his bones sticking out of his leg and stuff. And he's yeah. talking to the kids and stuff and offering the money. Uh, it's a very intense scene. And he, he walks away. It's just like it's just an unbelievable performance. And I, I'm going to be honest, when we did our recast, I really didn't want to recast him because I uh, kind of did a thing with my recasting. But we'll okay. get to it. OK. But my gold, I'll make it quick because I do want to get to your casting, uh, is the Coens. Uh, yep. The more you see of their work, you're going to see that this is their, you know, if not their masterpiece, close to it. You know, you can, there's a, they, they've made a lot of great movies, but this is so Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. This is their, like I said, you can hear their voice in their movies and you can absolutely hear it in this. And it's just so well-directed. So I didn't talk about when I first saw the movie because I want to tell a quick story about when I didn't see the movie. I, the year this came out, 2007, I went to the movies with some friends, bought my tickets and I had to go somewhere afterwards. But my friends who were there, uh, they had seen, uh, we had watched Cloverfield, which is a found footage monster movie, right? If you don't remember it, shaky cam, the whole movie. I had to leave after Cloverfield and they were like, we're going to go see no country for old men. Cause it's starting right now. Okay. Next day. I, you know, I call him like, Hey, you know, what's, uh, what's going on? How was, uh, how was no country for old men? And he goes, the first shot where the movie was just still, I knew it was a masterpiece. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I guess I got to see it now. Right. And then I saw it. And that's what just that when you can see a movie from like and granted, it's like immediately going from shaky cam to that is like. This is what a movie should be in, yeah. in a lot of people's, uh, you know, a lot of cases, a lot of people, what, what a lot of people would say, but I, I, I it's going to be very difficult for this not to be in like my top 10 at the end of this uh, 50 movie segment. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of great ones in there. We do. We do. But it's. I it's, mean, look, there's just just because we're now. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We're seven in, and we have, or eight in, I guess. Uh, you've liked some less than me, but The Shining, Rosemary's Baby, you know? <laughs> it's going to be fun. And some of the stuff we have coming up. Right. You know, we'll, right. we'll see. So let's get to recasting. Uh, I had uh, Anton Chigurh, Llewellyn, Carla Jean and Sheriff Ed Bell. And I kind of did the thing where it did not start out this way, uh, but I cast two of the roles and I was like, let's go with this. All of the actors I cast are black. 
Wow. Okay. And it stemmed from one being perfect and one being another actor that I was like, I really want to get him in here. And, you know, it's my trigger actor. And I was like, this is really difficult. So I'd like to see what this guy can do with it. But what what roles do you have? Everything's the same except for uh, I replaced the wife with Carson Wells. Okay. So let's go with your your Wells. All right. I will say that this is a, uh, a very, very, very Derek cast. Okay. Um, my Carson Wells is Pedro Pascal. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, I, you know, he's becoming a very, very big actor. Game of Thrones, Mandalorian. Um, he doesn't do uh, also Narcos, which I haven't even seen. Apparently he's great in that. I just pictured him as kind of that, like, like doggedy, uppity sort of like, I think, I think Carson Wells is like, talking. Yeah. Is Carson Wells also like, like sugar? Like, is he also like kind of like a hitman? Cause it seems like he was hired to like, I, I thought of him as like a detective kind of, I bet there's like, you know, if we took two steps to the left, there's like a series of Carson Wells stories where he's like, I'm just like in the underworld dealing with these guys. Right. Right. But you don't get a ton of backstory on him. Right. But yeah, Pedro Pascal. So my Carla Jean, I went with an actress who I like a lot and I think can pretty much play any type of role. And that is Tessa Thompson. All right. Looking her up as we speak. She was in Thor Ragnarok. She was in Creed. She was in Westworld. Um, she's oh, yeah. She She's great. I really like her. Yes. I like her a lot. And I think she could do you know, my, my Llewellyn's a little bit older, you know, it's kind of get the same dynamic and, you know, she, I'd love to see that scene where she is like, Nope, it's your decision. I'm not going to call it. Um, Great. So let's see, we get uh Chigurh, we get Llewellyn, we get Ed Bell. Where do you want to go? Let's go with Llewellyn. Okay. All right. I, I got, I got some big daddies here. Okay. I wanted, I wanted, uh, I wanted some big actors here, and my Llewellyn is. I wanted to make sure it was an actor who you really would be angry when they died, yeah, especially off screen. And mine is a mustached Leonardo DiCaprio. Mustachioed DiCaprio, okay. Yeah, uh, I just want DiCaprio. Yeah, exactly. I just thought that um, when he dies in the movie, you're like motherfucker. Um, and and he dies off screen, of course. And that's how I felt about that in the departed when he's dead. I'm like, shit, you know, and, um, I I could see it. He's an older guy now. He's about 45. He's, he's getting 50. He's, he can play the, I think he can play grizzly very well. Kind of that like Texas boy, you know, I believe it. And I like it. And I like the rest of the people I cast it along with him. So I'm excited. Yeah. So my, uh, my Llewellyn is an actor. I think a lot of, and He's on a TV show right now, and I think when that TV show ends, he's going to hit movies hard, and he's going to be a sought-after character actor. Uh, and that is, uh, he was on, um, well, he's, that is, his name is uh, Sterling K. Brown. So he's currently on the show This Is Us, which is not a show that I love. Oh, yeah, okay. A, yep, he's a great actor. He's on The People vs. O.J. Simpson. I think he's a tremendous actor, and I think he'd crush it in this role. Very good. So, Chigurh or Ed Bell? Let's do Bell. Let's do Bell. Who you got? My Bell is Al Pacino. Um, mm-hmm. He, um, what, what can I say? I mean, this 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 role is is a very toned down role, and I think that makes Bell a very grounded character. And I 
I really like the moments in Heat where Pacino's character is very tired of everything. Um, he's sort of done with everything, but he has to keep going because he's got to he's got to catch De Niro's character. Right. Um, and I just I, I really just see him as Bell, especially in that last scene of the movie where he's sitting there and he's just talking about these dreams he's had in a very subtle voice. Because when Pacino gets low and light, he's fan, fantastic. Yeah. And when he's really thinking about something and I just yeah, he's 81. I get it. But he's um, a, he's a, he's a, you know, he was so Bell was the first role I cast and I came across his name and I thought about it. He was a little too old. Yeah, he's a little old, but um, yeah, uh, he's still very, he's still a very active actor for his age. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I loved it. So he went with Pacino. Great. So my Ed Bell is a guy I came across the name, and I was like, this guy is perfect. Like I couldn't, I got it in my head, and I was like, I think he's the perfect age for the role. I think he's a great actor. Denzel Washington. Yeah. Yeah, this is something that's up his alley for sure. You know, in the, I could see him. He's played like an older sheriff before, I feel like. And I think he's, he's obviously got the acting chops to, uh, to, to do this. He's, I, I think, to me, that's the, that's the one where it's just like, okay, this is who I'm casting my, the rest of my movie around. Right, right. So, Anton Chigurh. Um, mine is not a big name. So maybe I'll go first. Okay. If, unless you have like a, you have kind of, mine is not quite an unknown, but he's like a up and coming guy. Okay. His, the actor's name, I may be pronouncing his name incorrectly. His name is Yahia Abdul Mateen II. You would have seen him if you've seen Aquaman. He is in, he's Black Manta. He was in The Watchmen. Did you watch The Watchmen? I didn't. I'm, so, I'm looking at him now. He doesn't look familiar to me, but. I would highly, uh, highly recommend you watch the Watchmen TV series. And don't even look at his credit for it because it kind of spoils it. Is that still Uh, going? No, it was a one season thing. He's going to be playing Morpheus in the upcoming Matrix movie. Oh, wow. So he is like right on the, the cusp of being a huge star. Mm. Uh, and he is an excellent actor. Nice. He is going to be, to me, on the, he's going to be a name, you know, on everybody's lips going forward. He's, he's tremendous. And he's a guy I've wanted to use in one of these recastings um, for a long time. And I just haven't found the right role for him. And to me, Chigurh, the, the performance is so unique. And there's not really... I don't think there's anyone working today with the same energy that Bardem brings to this performance. So I said, let me reach into my bag of tricks. And if I can't use Chalamet, edit that out. Cause I, uh, <laughs> uh, no, so it's like, if I'm going to, you know, like, <laughs> that would have been great though. If your whole cast was black, except for Chalamet, <laughs> who's the psychotic villain. <laughs> uh, but no, this guy, he's got the physicality for it. Um, he can change his energy in a given role so quickly. I really like watch that Watchmen series. It's a fucking masterpiece. It really is. It's incredible. Uh, and he's great in it. All right, Rick, I'll take three of them. Okay. You sold me. All right. Who's your Anton Chigurh? My Anton Chigurh is 
I wanted somebody who's kind of strange looking in his own way. And maybe the voice is kind of like, you know, it's got to be kind of deep too, because I think it works really well. And I, I just happened to, to, to choose somebody who was, happens to be also Hispanic <laughs> in, in, in some sense. I mean, I don't know specific, maybe he's Chilean or something like that, but I went with Benicio del Toro. Yeah. And uh, now that I'm looking at it, I think it's kind of an obvious uh, thing, but. Well, um, to, to me, uh, it, like Benicio brings an energy, like he's a, he's a wild card. Yeah. Like you just don't know what he's going to do. And that's like, that lends itself to the role. I bet it would be so fucking radically different to mm. what Bardem did. Right. That I don't think it is obvious. Like they're both, you know, they're both from Spanish speaking countries. I think, um, I think Benicio del Toro is Mexican. I'm not sure. Um, that could be wrong. My apologies if I am. And Javier Bardem is from Spain. So, it, you know, it's, it's, I don't, I, it's not like a one-to-one, but I, I see where you're coming from. You're seeing it's like, it's obvious. I don't think it is. Well, looking at my cast now, I mean, not even now, just in general, like Pascal, DiCaprio, Pacino, and Del Toro. It's a very Derek cast. Yeah. Um, and uh, after looking at it, I was like, wow, I actually like went with the actors like I really wanted to use. Um, there's a few actors that I've been really trying to use in, in our casting, and I just can't. This one actor specifically, uh, two actors, two actors that I really want to use, and I can't find roles for them. And I hope yeah. to use them in the future, but there's two names that I'm like, oh, what movie am I going to get them in? But down the line, maybe. Well, we'll, uh, we'll get to it. So uh, do we have, before we get to, uh, to Oscars, do you have any sort of miscellaneous? Um, just, just, you know, reading about the differences between the novel and the movie. And I know that in the novel, uh, Bell's character, uh, apparently th- throughout the whole novel is thinking about his dead daughter who was young when she died. And that was a big part of the book and they decided to kind of do away with it. And I think it's probably because, you know, with a novel, you can actually go into somebody's brain and, and, and hear what they're thinking on, on page, but it's harder to do that in a movie. So they probably yeah. just decided against it, but it would have made Bell's character, um, even more depressed, you know, but uh, I guess you don't really need it in the movie because he's already just tired of the I, world. So, yeah, I should I should say I haven't read the book, but I. After I watched the movie, I went to a bookstore and I was like, the book can't end the same way. Right. <laughs> and this is before I had uh, I had read any uh, other books uh, by that author. Uh, and of course, it ends that way. Yeah. With, uh, you know, with with, with that with, with McCarthy. But I was like, no, so I just read the last page and it's like, to my memory, it's, it's like word for word. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Very interesting ending. So my miscellaneous, Derek, is a, is a question for you. Okay. Um, is this movie even good if Chigurh doesn't have his air pressure gun? <laughs> Listen, Rick, this is the <laughs> lowest thing you've ever said ever. <laughs> this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Touche, my friend. <laughs> All right, let's let's uh, let's go to Oscars. This is a year that we've covered once before when we talked about There Will Be Blood with Cameron Pond, friend of the show. Um, so let's, let's go through it. Uh, this movie wins for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay. It is nominated for Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, Best Cinematography and best editing. So the Academy kind of liked it, uh, you could say. Yep. 
Uh, let's go through the major categories. Uh, best picture, it wins. Other nominees are Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, There Will Be Blood. I mean, it's either this or There Will Be Blood. I'd go with this. Yeah, wow. What a year. Yeah. Um, geez, yeah, I, I would too. I would too, yeah. Just by, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, best director, the Coen's win. Other nominees are Julian Schnabel for The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, Jason Reitman for Juno, Tony Gilroy for Michael Clayton, and Paul Thomas Anderson for There Will Be Blood. This, to me, is so razor close between the Coens and Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. I mean, it's so close that I'm just like, all right, just like let the Coens win. But if someone were to really make a case for PTA, I'd be like, yeah, I get it. Uh, yep. But I'm, I'm more than okay with Cohen win. Best actor. So I guess we'd be, um, be, I mean, looking at, uh, be looking at Josh Brolin for, for that. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. He's the only actor. one. Yeah. yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis wins for There Will Be Blood. George Clooney in Michael Clayton, Johnny Depp in Sweeney Todd, Tommy Lee Jones for In the Valley of Allah, and Vigo Mortensen for Eastern Promises. Wow. Yeah. Stacked. Huge year. Huge year. Um, I, I've not seen In the Valley of Allah. I've seen all the other ones. I, th- I think I think I think on those we'd never do an episode on that movie, but yeah, I think Josh Brolin is just a few points below being nominated. I mean, I sure. think it's a very good performance, but yeah. he's, I think he's just a little bit outpowered by everybody else in it. Yeah, uh, I don't think anyone would qualify for Best Actress. I don't know right. that uh, that Kelly John's in it enough, right? But uh, Best Supporting Actor, what a year for this. Okay, so Bardem wins. Casey Affleck is nominated for The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which is a classic movie that is underappreciated. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think, who I think is a, is, did we uh, declare him a Ricks guy? Um, I think, I think he is a Ricks guy. Yeah. I think, Un- yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> he's, he's nominated. Um, Tom Wilkinson for Michael Clayton. Let me ask you this real quick, Rick. Yeah. yeah. Is, is he the best Hoffman of all time? Uh, I mean, who are the uh, you know, who, who are the nominees? It's him and Dustin. <laughs> the best Hoffman actor. Yeah. Uh, oof. They're both very good. They're both very good. That's a, you know, it's a high powered last name. Yeah. I'm gonna have to think about that. Okay. I'm, I'm, I really am. We'll we'll go to. We have a a Hoffman movie coming up in a few months, so maybe we'll revisit that uh, when we have our guest on for that episode. Now, the Academy had nominated Hal Holbrook for Into the Wild, but we actually replaced him uh, with Paul Dano for There Will Be Blood. I, li- I still like it. So, and I'm confident about that as well. All of these performances are great, capital G great. Like, th- this is an incredible year for this category. Yeah. To me, Bardem's performance is so off the wall and so instantly iconic mm-hmm. that I, it's got to be him. Yeah, I agree. Like, 
Assassination of Jesse James, seek it out if you haven't seen it. Seymour, Philip Seymour Hoffman's great in everything. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously there will be Pool Hud, like Paul Dano. We've how many times have both of us used Paul Dano in recasting? <laughs> and they, you know, I think I, I want him to be a Rex guy, but yeah, you can, you can, you know what? Take him. You yeah, got him. I, 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 I appreciate Seymour Hoffman. You can take Paul Dano. That that is a. I, I you feel like track, you got to keep I, track of it though. <laughs> I will say though, that, that, it, not that we because we didn't trade them, but it's a blockbuster move in a sport. Yeah, you get Hoffman, huge. I get Dano. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's 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 like it's like a. It's like you get um you get pool holes and I get like Ryan Howard in, in their prize. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and Tom Wilkinson, just batshit performance and, and Michael Clayton. He's super fun in that. I have not seen that movie and I have, I've owned it on DVD since it came out. And I still haven't seen it. You should absolutely watch it. Okay. Um, best supporting. Do we want to talk about uh, Kelly McDonald? Um, I like her performance. I, I don't know if it's Oscar worthy. Well, let's let's talk about it because I, I okay. I'm f- at least familiar with all of these. So, best supporting is won by Tilda Swinton and Michael Clayton. Mm, she's amazing. She's incredible. How was uh, she not? Th- how was she not played David Bowie in a movie yet? I, I don't know. <laughs> they haven't they haven't made a David Bowie movie yet, right? Uh, well, they have. There's been some crappy ones. Well, not not a big budget. Not a, not a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kate Blanchett is nominated for I'm Not There. Oh, she plays Bob Dylan. <laughs> She does. <laughs> She's ridiculous in that movie. Say that. Well, she got an Oscar nomination out of it. Uh, Ruby D, an American gangster, which is a good performance, but might be one of those like, yeah, she's. Uh, I don't remember. Up there in age, we might want to get her, get her on the stage. Right. Uh, Saoirse Ronan in Atonement, and she is literally eight years old in that movie. I feel like she's she's a baby. Wow. Uh, but she's it's a it's a, it's a very good performance, and Amy Ryan in Gone Baby Gone. Which is I'm honestly surprised that didn't get a best picture nomination. I keep getting confused with that one and Gone Girl. Which one did I see? Is Gone Baby Gone with Ben Affleck? No, Gone Baby Gone is with Casey Affleck. Okay, okay, that's the confusion. Ben okay. Affleck directs it. They directs both of them. So or, I think no, no, Fincher, Fincher did, did Gone Baby. So Gone. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck is... direct, that's why it's confusing. Ben Affleck directed Gone Baby Gone, but he's in Gone Girl. He starred in Gone Girl. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um. But she, yeah, so if you haven't seen that, she plays, uh, I mean, it's an Affleck-directed movie, so it takes place in the Boston area, and she plays, uh, just think of the trashiest person you can think from from the Boston area. <laughs> right. Uh, and she plays that, and she does, she's very good in that. Kelly McDonald, do we give her the Ruby D spot? Uh, I haven't seen that performance. Um... Let's hold off. We'll get, that's a, that's a movie I could, I could feasibly see us doing an episode on okay i mean we're, we're, so, we're gonna we're gonna watch every movie ever so yes yes but re- like you know within the lifetime of of people listening right now right right uh you know because we're gonna live for a thousand years well, no country for old men but yeah. country for us right no we, we we found a way to live forever we did it we did it it's well, watching movies so yeah watch well, along with us exactly so what are you eating with this movie oh man i think just like some really salty fried chicken Fried chicken, huh? See, I was gonna go with more of like a, a like steak, a chili. Like oh, chili. chili. Okay, spicy chili. This, yeah, like a spicy chili that just like you're in the desert, you're a cowboy, you're eating chili. Yeah, this is a very cowboy-y movie. This took place in what 1980. It was supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, any type of barbecue, chili, yeah, barbecue. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good with that. 
All right. So now comes the most important part of the show. And Derek, that is when we put 30 seconds on the clock and you tell us why this movie, No Country for Old Men, is the greatest movie of all time. Are you ready? Yes. Three, two, one, go. No Country for Old Men is the greatest movie of all time because of its phenomenal acting, the amazing tone, the sound effects, the lack of music, the sound of the air, the nihilism, the pessimism, free will, fate, life is a coin toss. Go watch this movie. It is the fucking best. All right. You did it in 25 seconds. It comes quick. It comes quick. You feel well like you just done. get on you just get on the ball like halfway through and you're like it's almost over. Yeah. So that has been our episode on No Country for Old Men. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you're watching along with us because we've got a big November coming up. Uh, next week, we're talking Drive, a movie that uh, up until now, Derek and I have not seen. Surprise. And as it turns out, similar plot to this one in some ways. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, We did not mean for that. Yeah. And then the following week, we are doing a... Uh, another best picture winner. This one may be a bit more controversial. I've not seen it yet, but, uh, but Derek has recommended it and that is green book. I am very excited to watch this for a second time. And for our 60th movie, we are doing, we have Jen back on the show. My wife, Jen, we're talking about, I would say probably her favorite series of movies. We're starting that off with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone. If you're in England, <laughs> Yes, Harry Potter is finally starting on the show. The Boy Who Lives. Yep. Come to the greatest movie of all time. Turn to page 394. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's our November. That's uh, you know, coming out. This, I mean, God, the year has flown by. Yeah, and people uh, were like, I can't wait to get out of 2020. And it's like already 2022. Yeah, we're basically already dead. <laughs> what uh, happened? What <laughs> happened? So yeah, let's, uh, so we'll get to that. That's going to be a very fun uh, few weeks coming here. Very fun month on the show. Uh, and I want to thank you again so much for listening. I have been your beloved co-host. Some would say your favorite co-host, Rick Barrasso. And I have been the sexiest co-host. No country for old Dick Boski. Keep watching everyone.